Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Well, good morning. Here we are, spring has sprung, and uh, we are... Uh, we are digging into this series. So if you have a Bible with you, turn over to Luke chapter 24. We're going to spend almost all of our time there or a Bible app or whatever you're following along. And if you don't, we're going to put the verses here on the screen for, for you to see. So we've been following along in this sort of interesting season of the gospel story of the New Testament. It's that period of time right after Jesus has risen, before he's ascended, before kind of the the launch of the church in the era that we are kind of in right now. But there's this there's this moment kind of in between where, where Jesus has risen from the grave and he's present bodily, physically uh, on the earth and he's having these conversations with people. We're calling them candid conversations. There are these, these moments when, when he interacts. And, and Luke chapter 24 sort of describes this, this, this place in a, in, in, with interesting characters, right? It's, you can, you can kind of get a sense that in the aftermath, even, even in the aftermath of the resurrection, they're not sure what what to do. In chapter 24, it describes uh, the two Marys coming back from the tomb and telling the other women, because you remember at the crucifixion, there was a large group of women and no men, right? We're just going to give credit where credit's due, right? None of the guys showed up, but the women were there. And the two Marys come back from the empty tomb and they tell the women. And it says this, it says the women didn't believe them. Like, ah. It's too hard to believe. It's, it's, too, it's too good to be true. We're not putting any stock in that. Luke chapter 24 tells us they just didn't, they didn't believe. And, and it tells us that Peter, so Peter had, had run to the tomb when he heard the word. He ran to the tomb and he looks in, he goes in and he, he sees that it's empty. And it says he left wondering, like, I don't know what to make out of all this. Is he gone? Is he resurrected? Is it a good thing? Remember, we talked about Peter's story last week. It's not necessarily a good thing when you're the guy who's denied Jesus. And, and Peter leaves sort of bewildered, wondering, ah, what are we going to do with this? But then it describes two, uh, two more people. We, we, we often refer to them as the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Maybe you've, you've heard about that. They're these, these two, these two followers. It tells us the name of one of them. His name was, was Cleopas. And, and, and it's very possible, maybe even likely, that Cleopas, that the other disciple was Cleopas's wife, because it tells us in John 19 that there was a woman named Mary at the crucifixion whose husband was named Cleopas. So, a little bit later in the story, we see a disciple named Cleopas. So maybe we've got a husband and wife we don't know. And it says that they're, they're on their way to Emmaus. And they're, they're having this, this discussion. Like they're just, and, and it's tense. It's, it's full of like, ah, you, and the language here that's used is it's negative and it's discouraged. And you can see it written on their faces. And it says that they were on their way to Emmaus. Now here's what's interesting. I love this little, little tidbit. Emmaus was famous for, in fact, its name meant hot baths. 
So this was like an area that you went to for hot baths and healing. So when I read this, I, I see a husband and wife saying, ah, we need a spa weekend, right? And they're, they're like, we're out of here. We're just, yeah, nothing good is happening. This is a mess, everything we hoped for. And they're making their way. They're, they're on this journey to Emmaus and and it tells us that in the middle of their discouragement, Jesus shows up. Now, now, here's the thing you have to understand. For a number of occasions, right after the resurrection, when Jesus showed up, he chose not to reveal. And we don't know exactly what this means, but he didn't reveal who he was. Somehow, his appearance was hidden to them. This happened a few times. And so he appears to them, and they don't fully recognize who he is. And he's walking with them, and he's having this sort of conversation and it begins like this they're they're just walking along and maybe jesus is catching up with them and they're they're kind of talking and the conversation is tense and it's and it's negative and jesus says hey what's going on like like what's the what's the story you guys are clearly you know agitated about something and I, you have to love it when jesus plays coy right like oh hey what's going on like why are you so upset and 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 let me let me pick up the story there in uh in chapter 24 verse 18 we're going to start reading it says then one of them cleopas replied you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. Are you kidding me? Have you been living in a cave? <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Some of you didn't catch that. <laughs> Verse 19. What things, Jesus asked. You have to see the humor in it, right? The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death. They crucified him. And then verse 21, it says, We had hoped... He was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. There it is. We had hoped yeah, that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with this amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus was alive, and some of the men ran out to see it, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. And clearly, they're not, they're not buying it. <laughs> and it's all wrapped up in that phrase, we, we had hoped. We had hoped. We had hoped. So there, there's something about this, this journey that I think is helpful for us because it shows us a little bit of how, how Jesus walks with us through seasons of disappointment and how he, how he brings us through it and brings us to something that's, that's better. And here, I think it's a reminder that, that disappointment, disappointment comes 
to us with false expectations. I'm going to explain that, but I I just want to let the idea sit there that, that disappointment comes to us because of false expectations. And, and they said, we, we had hoped that Jesus would be the Messiah and we expected him to be this one thing. We, we expected life to look like this. We expected the story to look like this. And often what happens is disappointment comes on the heels of false expectations. We, we had hoped, right? You, we had hoped that life would look like this. We had hoped that we would get married. We had hoped that our marriage would look like this. We had hoped this for our children. We had hoped this for our health. We had hoped this for our job. And we, we, we have these expectations of what life will look like, what we had hoped for. And then it doesn't happen. And we take our expectations and we put them onto God. They become our expectations for God. We had hoped God would do this. That was our expectation. That was our hope. That was our, our vision, our dream. We had hoped that this would happen. I, I had hoped this for my marriage. I had hoped this for my kids. I had hoped this for my health. I had hoped this for my job, right? We have these expectations and our expectations. The, the narrative, the story of what we expect is the story that we then put on to God. God, I expected you would, you would do this. And it assumes that it assumes that we know two things. It assumes that we know the end of the story and we know how to write a good story. That's a big assumption. Like it is assuming so much of your and my predictive powers. Are we really that good at predicting? Am I that confident? in the narrative, in the story that I'm writing, that it's better than God's story and that my ending is better than his ending? Am I really, am I really that confident in my predictive powers? Because when I, when I actually sit back and think about it, I don't think I am. I don't think I'm that good at predicting the future. I don't think I'm that good at, at writing a story. I mean, I mean, really, how confident are you that you can write a better story, that you can predict the ending of the story better? <laughs> I, I don't like going to the dentist. I'm not sure there are a lot of people that do. If you're one of those rare, weird people that likes the dentist, but like when you go to the hygienist, right, you know you're supposed to get it done, and you go in, and you, and, and it's, you endure it, and they're like digging around and scraping, and they, they're like, it's torturous, but you know you need it. But you know the scariest, the, the, like the most, the most intimidating part of all that is right at the end, when you're all done, they say, let's schedule your next appointment. And they're like, what does your calendar look like six months from now? And I'm like frozen in fear. Like, I can't predict six months from now. Listen, true confession, because my dentist is here at the church. I am like a year or two or or more, I'm not going to lie, overdue just because I couldn't answer that question in the moment. I'm like, I don't, like in October, I don't know where I'm going to be in October. I can't really tell you that the second Tuesday at 10 a.m., I'm free. I just, I don't want to commit that far in the future. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm the only person that feels this way. 
I'm the only person that's just like caught, just like, ah, that's so, such a commitment to know what I'm going to be doing a year from now, six months from now. I, I can't commit. Like, if you can't even commit to a Monday at 10 a.m., six months from now, are you really confident in your ability to predict the story and predict the end better than God can? Do you see how, how our, our, our expectations of what should be and how it should play out are at the root of disappointment because we had created a story we had hoped. And what I love about Jesus is he doesn't abandon us. He doesn't, he, he doesn't like cast us to the side because we had created a false narrative and, and dropped it on him and said it's his responsibility. He doesn't do that to us. He doesn't, he doesn't say, oh, you, don't put that. He doesn't do that. In fact, he, he, but, but I will say the way he comforts us is not always the way we expected. And, and that's what he's going to do next. But you have to walk through the whole story. And it happens sort of in three, in three scenes. And so the, the next scene picks up in verse 25. And and, and, and if I could describe this scene and how Jesus walks through disappointment, I would describe it as confrontation. But I would, I would tell you that, that what it reveals to us is that confrontation comes before comfort. Like, like you want him to comfort you in your disappointment. Like, I want comfort. I want, I just want, I just want to, I just want to feel better. But sometimes he has to confront us and confrontation comes before the comfort. And, and, and so here, watch what he says to him in verse 25 and because this is important. Then Jesus said to him, so they, remember, they're, they're like, have you not heard Jesus? We had hoped and he was killed and now the tomb, his body's not there. And so Jesus said to them, you foolish people. <laughs> That's not the Jesus we're used to, by the way. Like, whoa, these guys are hurting Jesus. He says, you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Didn't, weren't you, weren't you listening? You, you had the prophets right there. The scriptures were right there. Everything was there. Weren't you listening? But then it says this in verse 27. It says, then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets. This was a long trip. Like, all right, get ready. We're having a Bible study. He breaks open the scriptures and he explains to him from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He's like, listen, you have missed it. And the way that Jesus often comforts us is he confronts us because he believes this and he said it over and over. The truth is what sets you free. You can't be free 
truly free. You can't find comfort if you don't know what's true. And so he opens the scriptures and he begins to explain to them all the things concerning himself. And here's what he's saying to them. He's saying, you have gotten yourselves in trouble because you allowed the culture around you to form your view of who I am and what I want you to do. Let me just say that again. To the disciples who were disappointed, you are struggling, you are disappointed because you have allowed the culture around you to form your view of who I am and what I was going to do instead of Scripture. And he takes them to Scripture, and he says, let me show you what the Scriptures say. I just want you to ground your life in this book. I want you to ground your understanding of what's true and what's right and how to live in this book because you have gotten yourself into trouble by allowing your life to be formed by the culture around you. It's not any secret to us that, that, that this message is enormously relevant to us today because we are constantly being, it's constantly coming to us and asking us, what were the, we're being asked like, what is your view? How do you see this? How are you going to understand the world? How are you going to live? And if we're, if we're not careful, our, our lives become formed by the culture instead of formed by Scripture. And so, so we're being asked, like, how do you treat the poor? How do you treat the foreigner? How will you protect the unborn? We're being asked those things, and if we're not careful, our, our view of this is formed by culture, which is shifting back and forth. We're being asked, what is permissible sexually in our world? And if we're not careful, our view of this is formed by culture around us. We're being asked, what is the nature of authority and leadership? Who do you want to lead you? And we're being asked, and culture is forming these things. Daily, 24-7 news cycle media. And Jesus is like bringing us back and saying, listen, let this, let this be the thing because it doesn't shift. It doesn't move. It gives you something that is true to ground yourself in. Like 20 years ago, Tammy and I uh, built uh, the home, and we kind of, we, we had three littles at the time, and uh, we thought we were done. God had other plans, and we had a fourth little right in the middle of construction, but we built a home that we would raise our kids in, and, and, and it's been it's, it's been everything we hoped. It's been, a, it's been a great home to raise our kids in, and that was, our, that was our, our vision for it. But it hasn't been perfect. And maybe that's because we built it. Like, like I don't mean I hammered nails, but I, I, we sort of like designed it, and we, we oversaw a lot. And at, we moved in, and we've got this deck off the, off the back porch, and, and it's one of those decks that just sits right on the ground, right? So it's just like... You know, the ground under is just dirt, but it's just like, you know, it's like a, a foot off. There's a, there's a step down and then a step to this, this deck that sits on the ground. And after about five years 
of of living there, I noticed that that when I walked out, that the the the, the step that we stepped on was was a little bit it was a little bit soft. And then I started to I would I'd be in the backyard and I would look back and I would notice that my my deck was instead of doing this, it was doing this. And at first I just ignored it, like that's what you do with stuff, right? Like because they want to fix it. I'm like, ah. like that's a that's a cool feature. Like who else has a curved deck? Right. And then it was like, it was like, you know, I'm like, ah. So I, 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 had to, I had to take the deck apart with some help from people who know what a little bit about what they're doing. We took it apart. And I realized that the, 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 the nails that had kind of locked it into the house at that point there had, that over time, the pressure had, had sagged. So we just, quick fix, put it back in. And then a little bit later, I noticed that the, the, the deck on the other side sort of like same problem, right? And I, we, we tore it open and, and, and we realized that what, 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 what had happened is where we had, where we had dug foundations, footings at the corners and in different places, that this place here, that there should have been like a, a footing, a foundation, there was none. And it was just, there was just like a, there was a post, you know, like a, a piece of wood and it was in sand. And it was, we packed the sand down, though, really good, but not good enough. And it's just over time, the, the sand, it shifts and it sinks and it, and it, shows, it shows up like this. And do, do you see what I'm saying? That we, we live in a world with, with, where, where, where our lives are being formed, if we're not careful, by culture. It's, it's saying, and, and it's always shifting and changing. And, and Jesus is coming to us and he's saying, listen, 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 listen. If you, 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 if you want to live well, then, then, then build a foundation in something that doesn't shift like 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 put it in my word search out the scriptures and know base your life on what this says and are there moments where where what this said goes against what I want to do yes it is there there are times when and this is what makes it hard because sometimes it it contradicts what I want and it contradicts where everybody else is going and it contradicts what is comfortable but it's true and it's for and this is the thing it's for our flourishing Jesus is saying is this is the way to a full life. And when he gets these two disciples on the road to Macy, he says, no, 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 let, let me explain to you the scriptures. You've, you, you've allowed, you, you've allowed the, 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 the culture around you to form your view of who I am and what I'm going to do. And you missed it. Let me show you what's true. So here's the next part, and it's the last scene in this story, and it's, it's beautiful. Oh, by the way, um, if you've been following along in the story, you'll notice something. <laughs> Jesus hasn't told them who he is yet. It's awesome, Mike. He's just like, he's got the cloak of invisibility. I don't know what it was, but he's like, oh, hey, what are you doing? Oh, and he, he's like a teacher, and he's opening up the scriptures, and he's explaining it to them, and they have no idea. And it says, in verse 28, it says, by this time, they were nearing Emmaus, and the end of their journey 
I love this next part. Jesus acted as if he were going on. Like, oh, hey, oh, this is your stop. Oh, all right, hey, good, good, good to see you. Good to, good to see you. And, and, and he acted as if he was leaving. But they begged him to stay the night, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. He still hasn't told them who he is, and he's playing. I don't know how else to describe this. It's like Jesus is playing hard to get. Right? That, I mean, if you're reading the story, that's what he's like. Jesus is like, oh, hey, I, I got I to gotta, I gotta go now. And they're like, no, 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 no. Please. Like, like, why does that happen? And there, there's, by the way, I think there's something here that's important. Like, Jesus doesn't force himself on us. And, and what, I would, what I would say is that pursuit comes with presence like the presence of God comes with pursuing him like this is a principle from scripture right God's not going to force himself every once in a while God will show up and he will scream at you to get you from dropping off of a cliff but most of the time he'll let you pursue him James chapter 4 and verse 7 and 8 says that uh, it says flee the devil and he'll flee from you but then in my favorite part it says draw near to God and he'll draw near to you like there's this principle all through Jeremiah chapter 29 tells us the same thing that like if you seek after him if you seek him with everything that you have you'll you'll find him but but there's a seeking there's a pursuing peace to this because he's not he's not going to force himself upon you Pursue after him. And so Jesus says, okay, I'll stay. And, and then in verse 30, watch this. It says, as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it and he gave it to them. Verse 31 says, And suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And at that moment he disappeared. And they said to each other, Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? We should have known it was him. Are you kidding me? It was Jesus all along. And there's this, this beautiful set of words here he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them lots of commentators have drawn the analogy between this and and the lord's last supper the language here and have said that there's there's some there's some imagery here and, and, per, and perhaps there is but uh, nt wright in one of his commentaries makes a really interesting point that the language here is actually imagery of something else not just not just the Lord taking the, the bread and breaking it and having dinner with him, because, because here it says that they, they had dinner, like watch this, right? They had dinner, and after they ate, their eyes were opened, and they saw him, right? They realized who it was that had been with them. 
And, and, and Wright go, goes back, he brings us back to Genesis 3, and I think this is maybe even more interesting and helpful and to the first meal, right? To the Adam and Eve and that fateful eating of the fruit, right? You know, we see the picture of the apple. We don't know what it was, but we, you know, they're eating this fruit. And it says that when they ate the fruit, their eyes were opened, right? There's that imagery of their eyes were opened. They saw the fruit and their eyes were open, but in that moment, their eyes were opened, and they realized their sinfulness and their brokenness, and they realized for the first time they were alone. And they were moving out of the garden. So here we are, this, this story has come now full circle through the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and he meets with the disciples, and he has this meal with them, And when he finishes the meal, their eyes are open. And what do they see? They see that Jesus is with them. It's the opposite of the story. It's like the ending of the story. It's like they realize Jesus is with me and he will never leave me. He's with us. He's alive. The fact that he disappeared in the moment doesn't bother them one bit. You'll see that in the final words of the passage. They realize he's alive. It's true. And he is forever with us. Because what we need more than anything is the presence of God in our lives. It's the awareness that we're not alone. That no matter what we're going through or what we're struggling into, we are not alone. He's with us. You see... You think, and I think, what I need is I need an act of God. I need, I need God to show up in power, and I need him to do something dramatic. But what you need and what I need more than an act of God is the presence of God. I just need his presence in my life. I just need to know and be aware that no matter what I'm going through and what I'm enduring and how long it goes on, he is with me. And no matter what happens and no matter where the story goes or how long it takes to play out, he is with me. And in that moment, the disciples realize it's true. He's not dead. The story and everything that he taught is true. He is with us forever. Not he will be with us one day when we're in heaven. He is with us. The resurrected Jesus is present in our lives, in this place, in our bodies. He is present with us. And that is what changes everything. I love how the story finishes. And we'll finish here. Verse 33 says, And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. No spa day. There they found the 11 disciples who had gathered with them who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. The story is revealing itself bit by bit. Jesus, indeed, has risen. And he's with us. And that is what we need more than anything. Would you bow with me? Our heads are bowed, our eyes closed, just a, a, a brief
brief moment in the middle of maybe what's been a, a chaotic week for you. Maybe in the seven days since last Sunday, it feels like everything just got turned upside down. Maybe disappointing news showed up in your life. Maybe your expectations and your hopes and and it's just left you wondering, consumed, anxious. I don't know what God's going to do. I don't know how he's going to work it out. I don't know when it's going to end. My predictive powers and yours are not that good. Here's what I know. Jesus rose from the grave. And he's with you. And more than a specific act of God. Well, don't stop praying for it. Pray with everything you have. But know this, more than an act of God, what he wants you to be aware of is his presence. He says, I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Draw close to me and I'll draw close to you. Everywhere through Scripture, his constant reminder, I'm with you. Father, to one who's hurting, who's disappointed, whose expectations have been crushed, where sadness seems like a constant companion, Father, I just pray that your, your presence would be so real in their lives that in this moment, they would just, like those two disciples, their eyes would be opened, my eyes would be opened, Father, that we would see you And Father, you described in the scriptures here, they, their hearts were warmed within them. Father, I'm, I'm praying for the one who just needs their heart warmed within them by your presence. We don't need to know what you're going to do. We just want to be aware of your presence this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.